Hello, students. Welcome to detention. I am everyone's favorite co-host, the Caleb G. But tonight, I am Professor Crunch, and that means it is my job to take care of you hooligans stuck here after hours in the RPG Academy. Helping me out tonight, I've brought along some voices you know and love. First and foremost, Scott. Hello, Scott. Howdy, all you kids out there in Radio Land. And special guest tonight from one of my all-time favorite podcasts, Swallows of the South, Quinn Wilson. Oh, that's very, very kind of you. Hello, everybody. Thank you very much for joining us from uh, across this great country of ours, Quinn. Uh, Time differences aside, it is wonderful to have you on mics with us here tonight. Indeed, it's always a pleasure. Alrighty, so let's go ahead and jump into things with uh, our first segment of detention, extracurricular. What have we been doing here, gentlemen? What's up in our lives? Well, uh, just moments before uh, we we got on to record, I stumbled upon a Twitter feed called uh, Uncharted Atlas, at Uncharted Atlas, and uh, where where a lovely uh, map and software aficionado, a, a glacier scientist, has released uh, code and, and made a Twitter bot that just generates random fantasy maps with with cities and mountains and, and rivers. And, and so now I'm compulsively reading through this Twitter feed and uh, trying to decide how many of these I want to blow up into campaigns. And Oh, wow. That sounds really awesome. Yeah, at Uncharted Atlas. Now, I remember... You were telling me uh, a few weeks ago that you were working on a custom map for your home game, the procedural crime drama fantasy game, right? That's right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit, uh, um, say, a tighter zoom on that. We was really looking for just like a section of a town, right? Like a neighborhood map. And so uh, these are more area regional maps, but uh, I am a fan of maps. Cool. I am terrible at making maps. Me I am rubbish. too. <laughs> when I was in college and I was writing campaigns, this was back in the day when I thought uh, I had to write the entire homebrew campaign world from scratch, meaning, of course, I had to have a map of the entire world to generate my game. I actually went to the library on campus where they had those gigantic atlases and i traced over the countries and to make a mismatch of everything because i said you know what if i'm going to draw a map it should be to scale because it has to be right so of course i'm going to try to trace it off of a map of the world uh it was very time consuming i never used them once and they are still sitting on my shelf to this very day oh yeah my method has always been more like I grab a pencil and a sheet of computer paper and I like scratch at it for about three minutes, like only if I need an example. And I'm like, this looks relatively right, right? <laughs> like, this is fine. See, I always hate if I try to draw a country or a continent, I feel like the edges should be all wobbly. Mm-hmm. But then I feel like they're too wobbly and I'm caught in this moment of indecision between what are enough wiggles and squiggles and what just looks like shit so (laughs) i have no clue the the modifiable aerial unit problem i'm gonna pretend i understood those words that you just said good 
Good. I'll just uh, edit that out. No one will notice my uh, coastline nerdery. Oh, there are different types of nerds. You're 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 our resident smart nerd, Scott. Oh, thanks. You're the uh, one that always that... figures out the numbers and everything when we're talking about math. I just make shit up. Yeah, but uh, I'm I'm not the art nerd. I'm the one who uh, the first time I ran this this same guard campaign when uh, everybody asked for a map. I'm so used to doing podcasts like you guys want a visual aid, and so I literally like started a screen share on Hangouts and opened MS Paint and like <laughs> blobber doodled around a map. And after 20 minutes of them sitting and watching me, they're like, "We can never do this again. You will up your game, or we're leaving." <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah. So, uh, what about you, Mr. Quinn? What have you been up to over in uh, sunny California? So, I guess if we're going to talk about math, uh, I have been cramming for the GRE. Uh, so mm. that has been wonderful, quote unquote. Um, <laughs> I so I graduated. I graduated high school when I was fifteen. I tested out. And then I've just been futzing around doing undergrad stuff for, like, six years. Um, But I'm actually, like, graduating. And so I'm preparing for the GRE. But I'm doing that on, like, a low-level statistics course and a life skills maths course. So I'm basically, like, I haven't done anything that was, like, rigorous mathematics since I was, like, 14 or 15 years old. Wow. Um I feel really dumb right now. <laughs> I um I was a math major for one semester when I was in college because I was good at math. And I I did our tutoring in our student center and I helped people with college algebra and the remedial math courses. Uh I was good at calc, so I I took calc and then uh, I took calc in a spring semester, had the summer off. And then I went back to take Calc 2 in the fall semester. And the first day of class, I had no idea what was happening at all. So I left class and changed my major. Uh, Fun fact, I actually do a lot of research at school. Like a lot of the research that like I work with in my labs are related specifically to that kind of thing. We're looking specifically at math engagement particularly wow. among women. And so I've seen like a lot of testimonials that are like, I walked in and I think I'm just going to, I'm going to leave this class. I'm done. It makes no <laughs> sense. I have no idea what the hell is happening. Oh man. And and that's really funny because in, uh, in my day job, I work at a bank. I still don't hey, use math. I, I, every, every addition and subtraction are very, very different than uh, later maths. Right. right? Every time my parents said, you're going to use this class when you grow up, I said, what would my profession be that I would use math? A banker? (laughs) 30 fucking years later, I am a banker, and I don't fucking use math. (laughs) Right. See, I actually had a conversation earlier today about how, at this point, like, statistic suites, etc., leave me as someone who might nominally have to do a lot of math in my research— not having to interface with it all. All I need to do is understand the theory. And then I can just like set things to go and interpret the results. Like, so the amount that like even people who are doing math heavy work have to interface with math is very small. 
Yeah, all you have to know is is the the statistically significant number of samples and and when you can make conclusions and when you can't, right? And then you put it into MATLAB or Maple or something, and just magic results come right. out. Right, like you have to understand the basic theory of like, okay, so what's a t test versus an ANOVA versus like an ANCOVA or multi level modeling or whatever. But yeah, once you understand mm-hmm. what the results what are my mean, priors? you're good. Um, yeah, it's about knowing how to interpret it as opposed to formulae. And I suddenly know how my wife feels when my friends and I dig into a really deep conversation about video games that she doesn't know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, I can't share anything so wonderfully smart. I, um, I just read a book. I read Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Oh, nice. I, I don't know how I feel about it. I finished it today. It was uh, it was very strange. Did did the butler do it? Uh, no, I don't think there was a butler in in this book that wasn't a book, but with a screenplay. Not wait, no, it wasn't a screenplay. It was a, a stage script. script. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I don't know. It, it it was it was interesting to see the characters do things that I did not picture them doing at all. Because when when the actual novels ended, it was like, okay, these characters are are done being told, and I can imagine what they do for the rest of their lives. And now, lo and behold, we take a snapshot of the rest of their lives, and it's very different. That's that's cool. I actually, I need to read it. Um, I liked Harry Potter, but I'm also known as that person who has very strong opinions about the back end of the Harry Potter series. Uh, we we might we might be kindred spirits here, Quinn. Uh, are are you one who shares a dislike for how things happened? Uh, the series peaks at a at the Goblet of Fire. The absolute nadir of the series is the Half Blood Prince, and to me, in a lot of ways, the Deathly Hallows read as being relatively phoned in. Yeah, yeah. You you and I are on the same page. I I got um, I got kind of sick of some of the what I thought of as sloppy writing and uh, a lot of tropes and stereotypes that were just thrown in there to make things work. Um, right. Some of the, the world logic just stopped making sense. Yeah, and I'm okay sometimes with like fungible world logic, but when you the longest book in your book series, you like you look at someone and you're like, what happened in that book? And spoiler alert, you can't tell me that it's that Dumbledore dies because that's in the last like four fucking pages. So <laughs> what happened in the 600 preceding pages? And, I, I don't even know. I could not even summarize it. There's right. a, a, a fight, I think. Right. There's a war. Yeah, there, there's like a big fight in the middle where Harry just cuts Malfoy's chest right open. But aside from that, and, like, I love character-focused stuff. Like, I love character pieces. But the Half-Blood Prince was just really, really flat for me. And and when you got back into The Cursed Child, a, a lot of people compare it to fanfic. And I can see that comparison very easily. Well, the end of the series, like, the epilogue to the series read like fanfiction. Yeah. Yeah, it did, because everyone paired off and did what they were supposed to do. And all and the then... kids had super cutesy names. Right, right. 
That yeah, and and that just continued. I'm not going to say I didn't like it because I enjoyed reading it, but it did not feel connected to the rest of the series. And it, it might be the difference between watching something happen that is written to be watched mm-hmm. as opposed to reading something that is supposed to be watched because the words on the page and the scene descriptions I just couldn't follow at times, and it was so broken. Yeah, um, reading scripts is really weird. Mm-hmm. And I don't think this was necessarily a good script. Mm. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I, I was going to bring up a very specific aspect of the story that really, really bothers me, but since you haven't read it, I don't want to bring it up because it's a major plot point i quite frankly am not one of those people who gets really hung up about spoilers so if you want to talk about it go to town okay so uh wh- which novel were the uh time turners from uh azkaban okay so they're back okay uh let's we can leave it at there um so time travel as a concept always is intriguing in fiction to me because there's so many different ways to interpret it And the way it's interpreted in the Harry Potter universe is that there's one timeline. And when you go back in time, you're another version of yourself simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So that mechanic is used, again, heavily in this script. And many times it just does not make sense. The, the terrifying thing to me about the premise of the, the time turners in uh, the original books is that they invalidate free will. Mm-hmm. Oh, right? absolutely. They, they're, they're just evidence of a deterministic universe where, uh, right, you are constrained to only do what you've already done, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. Or, or, or at least that you can only travel in time in such a way that it will result in an identical universe. So that's not my favorite. Yeah, it's interesting. Because you could also, like parse it as being there is the existence of free will up into up until the point that any particular decision is made at which point it is then solidified as being concrete within the timeline but then you have to ask questions about okay then what does the choice to like travel through time mean and it's weird and 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 but but if, if if you're able to travel back but you can't influence any events right then uh I don't know. I, I think that, that that proves the decision or indecision, right? It's all... Right. Right. Like, I can yeah. feel that. And and a crucial part of the Time Turner's use in The Cursed Child is that they go back and change things. And we have the uh, Back to the Future 2 moment where the future warps around everyone. Uh, and that happens a couple times. And then, we, we don't have the time cop rules where the universe implodes instantly and everyone dies? No, but there is definitely uh-huh. the rule where they can't interact with themselves because that would uh, be bad. And that is the technical term they use. Now remember, um, when you travel back bad. in time, you're made of antimatter. And if you touch yourself, you're instantly annihilated. Also, try not to touch anything else. Okay, but remember, Scott, technology doesn't exist in Harry Potter. It's all old-fashioned uh, and they communicate with owls, and there's no media other than a newspaper, even though it's set in the modern world where all of this exists. 
somehow there is this weird... Well, let's be fair. Most of Harry Potter is set in the 90s. <laughs> so, so does that mean that we could theoretically have Harry walking around with a Bluetooth rocking some Jinkos? Because I, I would watch that movie. Uh, that is one aspect they forgot to include in the in the movie ad- adaptations <laughs> is at no point did we ever see Harry rocking some like mad flare jinkos. <laughs> because obviously at one point they go to the real world, they have no clue what's going on. Wouldn't they put together the worst possible outfit you can imagine? I wanted the Hawaiian shirts, the uh, fisherman's hats. Why didn't that happen? Oh my god, yeah. I... Everything is just unreasonably baggy. <laughs> Hermione just wears 16 chokers for no reason. <laughs> Maybe the, the pants they got were magic like their tents, right? They're just much bigger on the inside, so in effect they're baggy while slimming. Oh, mm. believe me, no one was wearing jinkos because they felt good to wear. <laughs> No, no, Jinkos were a horrible, horrible choice, but you had to have them. Oh, I, I will uh, interject in our Harry Potter discussion that I think the best book in the series is, uh, and, and since we're talking about fan fiction anyway, is Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. <laughs> if you have not read it, it's 35, 40% the length of the entire original series fan fiction, and it's so unbelievably pedantic and nerdy. Right. In, 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 in the series, they confront every one of these like, wait, but time travel? Like, doesn't that mean that, you know, they, they actually think critically about all the plot points that were introduced in the original series? It's, it's very entertaining. Hmm. Mm. I will, if you like being pedantic. I will make a note I of that. Do. <laughs> I, I think we all share that trait here on, on the Academy. <laughs> uh, HPMOR.com. They have a podcast, too. It's uh, free because hmm. it's fan fiction. Cool. We, uh, well, Scott, you have given us two wonderful things to go look up on the internet. Thank you. Oh, I will. If we're going to talk about Twitters, by the way, I will give a shout out to a Twitter that I just discovered recently. Uh, the boys are back. Uh, Twitter account at in town again. And they literally just post the lyrics from Thin Lizzy's The Boys Are Back. <laughs> and it's one of the funniest goddamn things I've seen in a long time. <laughs> following now uh all righty so i think that is a good chunk of our extracurricular lives why don't we move on to dead campaigns uh quinn since you are the guest tonight i think you have a story to share i do so this has been a long time coming but a campaign that had previously been on hiatus has fully transitioned into its post-mortem state. We put the campaign on hiatus, I believe, in April, maybe? Um, It's my home game that I play with my brother, his boyfriend, uh, my partner, and then a mutual friend. And my brother was running it. He's a grad student just got so overwhelmed with grad work. And then we've slowly been like running a couple one shots, getting ready to dive back into it. And he's just like, it's almost time for me to start teaching again. I can't do this. 
Oh, that's a that's a shame, especially because it's a family game. Some, something that you can do with with your actual family and loved ones. That's always a fun time. And yeah. See that go. Well, you know, we're continuing the tradition of our family Saturday games, but that particular campaign uh, has left this mortal coil. Mm. So uh, tell us about the campaign a little bit, Quinn. What, uh, what was the game? So it was a campaign that we established after 3rd Edition Exalted came out where there's a whole new section of the map that they set up for 3rd Edition. Like, they made a bunch of changes to, like, the lore and the canon that was really refreshing and awesome. But there's this, like, weird, like, somewhat biblical, quasi, like, pulp, more cocky region that they added called the Dreaming Sea where we kind of established our characters and we were essentially building up a small base of power and influence within the region. Um, like, the first session, we accidentally broke a longstanding and ancient oath between the fair folk who dwell within the Dreaming Sea and this port town uh, that sat on its coast. And then we dealt with, like, a warlord, and then we got to this place where we were about to start dealing with like strange undead like abyssal antagonists and that's when things just got too much for for the gm and it kind of fell apart but we had a so much promise it had so much promise and there was actually a couple things that happened in there that i talked to i talked to my brother about like away from everyone else that didn't really make like they were decisions that to me it was group think and action where everyone individually would have made a different choice. But essentially we had the chance to like reestablish the law and order in the city, the like the port city. And we asked people like, Hey, how do you feel about this? Cause it looked like the leader was kind of like corrupt or inept. And everyone else was like, no, the system's working pretty fine for us. We think that it's okay. Um, Because, like, this guy had been manipulated pretty severely, but then I think particularly my brother's boyfriend is like, no, 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 no. We need to establish, like, democratic law and order here. We need to fix this. And then we, like, we go away, and as soon as we left, we started draining them of all of their resources to, like, fund a war that we were starting against this warlord. And it was like, we're we're monsters. (laughs) You guys are nation builders. Just gonna upend the the yeah. normative like like stable government of a region to impose your own belief system on them, right? And then no, you're murder promise. hobos, but for a society, yeah. You're just gonna you know just gonna topple it and stand up another one because fuck, right? Why not? Um, and I was looking forward to seeing those consequences pay off, uh, but you know it didn't wind up happening, but. It was a lot of fun while it lasted, and the individual characters were very colorful and and interesting. But you know, any characters you'd you'd redip into for another game? Uh, I actually really really liked the character that I was playing, and the character. Well, most of the player characters were super interesting. Actually, um, I was playing a character who basically attained his like blessing of holy power when he was going to be sacrificed to a god that he had essentially been like raised and pruned to be sacrificed to um and then granted agency really for the first time in his life 
he was essentially a flaming teenage wreck. So he would go around and kind of use people just... He was a mess. Um, Sounds like a fun character to play. Yeah. And then I'll just I'll throw one other in because I really liked the character and we didn't really get to see his story pay off. Uh, he was a warrior, like easily the strongest fighter in the party. And he was wielding what was essentially a half-living corrupted sword that was slowly laying claim on his soul. Classic. Classic trope. Yeah. So you were playing a character from Soul Calibur. <laughs> uh, it very much looked like the Soul Edge. Like, it, it didn't have eyes, but it did have three hearts and a lot of veins. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> this is exalted. This is, this is par for the course. <laughs> you walk down the street. Yeah, that, that's the three-hearted sword. Over there, we got a, a dude with half a bear tied to a stick. That's yeah. his weapon. That's just normal. No it one is. cares. Nobody asks questions about it. <laughs> this is so, a game. Uh, what are the stats for my bear on a stick? <laughs> well, it's only a half bear. It's, it's only o- half a bear, yeah. It's only half a bear. It's uh, it's just the bottom half. <laughs> oh, Sorry bear legs. Oh, no. Just... I was going to say, this is a game in which it is theoretically possible for your character to genetically have ten dads. So three hearts <laughs> on a sword isn't that big a deal. <laughs> I missed that part of the book. Uh, Let me yeah. go read. Apparently there are two of us. Go Let read me the control entry. F that PDF. Ten dads. Like really, go read the entry in the setting part of the book for Volavat in the Dreaming Sea. They found a way to up the number of dads per person. But but uh, just dads. Just dads. Okay. It's like ten dads and then one mom. That poor woman. If yeah. Planned Parenthood ever he- reads this book, life will be over. Yep, Exalted has a lot of real, real great stuff in it, and I love that game a lot, but then sometimes there's ten dads. <laughs> it's the ten dads rule. How how does this moment compare to ten dads? <laughs> to ten dads. Good. I don't know, I think it was like three and a half, four dads tops. All right, um, then we're good. Go for it. Full steam ahead. You get to 10 dads, though. We got to pump the no, brakes. You got to pump the brakes. I will give a shout out to <laughs> Madison Ray at Maddie K. Ray on Twitter for pointing out to me as we were talking about this stuff that this was like a thing. And I just like I read through it and I'm like, oh, yeah, like no big deal. Whatever. 10 dads. And she's like, no, 10 dads, Quinn. <laughs> that needs to be a shirt that you guys do for the show. Just how does this compare to 10 dads? How does this compare to 10 dads? Hashtag Dadlantis, <laughs> which is what Love Maddie it. started calling this this city. Oh, that is that is perfect. So, is Exalted your system of choice for all your home games? Not all of them, um, but recently it has been. Um, third edition came out only like you know eight months ago or something, so there's still like a lot of ambient excitement about the system and there's a lot to dig into there um but when we weren't playing exalted we played like a short oh that's my dog uh we played a short dungeon world campaign uh and well uh, in addition to dungeon world oh nope suki you're just gonna keep doing that huh all right whatever 
Uh, there's going to be a dog in the background of this episode, guys. Sp- extra special guest, extra Quinn's spe- dog, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. My dog, Suki. Um, so we played Dungeon World, and we played... We tried out some Fate stuff. We played a little bit of the Dragon Age system. Like, we, we sample around a lot. Feng Shui... Like, I like a pretty large spread of games, uh, but everyone's kind of on that exalted train right now, so we're riding it to high heaven. Cool, cool. And I am very distracted now because all I can picture is you walking around the house yelling at your dog like True Blood. Sucker! Sucker! I just pictured, I just pictured, that's how I picture Quinn now. New, yeah, no. new image in my head of Quinn. My dog is voiced by Anna Paquin, just for the record. That's <laughs> that's what she did after the X-Men movies. She just voices your dog. <laughs> like, she is not in my house. She just voices my dog. She just does the voice work and phones it into you, and you just play the MP3. <laughs> she doesn't even have the decency to send me a WAV file. <laughs> Anna Penguin, come on! What do you what? If you would like to, if you'd like to talk to us about this, Anna Penguin at the RPG Academy on Twitter, or Michael at the RPG Academy dot com, because he's not listening right now. No. Oh man! Also, all of the Harry Potter fan mail can go straight to at the RPG Academy. Yes, for everyone who hates us for our opinions about the about Harry Potter, Michael at the RPG Academy. Dot com. Or if you want to, uh, talk to us in person, buy a ticket to a Catacon happening this November 11th, 12th, and 13th in Dayton, Ohio. Uh, it can't be worse than everything that purportedly happened to me at Gen Con. <laughs> you, you, you'd certainly have some reputation to live up to. I Indeed. Uh, alrighty, so uh, let's try to get back on some sort of tracks here, because we left them... Quite a few minutes ago. Oh, yeah. Right. So class review. Uh, For the last couple episodes, we have been talking about that classic four-party even distribution. We've talked about fighter, rogue, and cleric. So that, of course, brings us to the wizard. The spell slinger, the squishy guy in the background in robes, uh, just doing stuff while everyone else kills monsters with sharp, pointy things. Uh, what do we think about wizards, guys? Um, I, I like wizards. I just play them very rarely. Um, ditto. Oh, good. We've, we've got a great group, uh, together. (laughs) I've, I've played a few wizards in my time, but I never stick with it. So here we go. If only Michael was here for this episode. (laughs) Because he loves wizards. Uh, Like, I think that wizards are really great and they're really cool. But um, if I'm going to play a caster, especially in like 5e, I'm probably going to straight up play a warlock. But I'm also a huge fan of most of the half caster classes and even some of like the third caster classes. Like I'm super into the Eldritch Knight. Really? We just finished an episode of these where I ripped on the Eldritch Knight endlessly. Well, you're going to have to tell me what you love. They're mechanically garbage, but I love the flavor. Well, yeah, okay, okay. So if you're playing Bard and you call it an Eldritch Knight, you're you're going to be better off. Oh, yeah, I mean, I also love playing Bards. Um, <laughs> okay. 
And well, so so that that was uh, going to be about the first thing I said about Wizard was that um, whenever I want to get into the the feel of the Wizard, right, the, the, the preparing, the the big dusty book, the high intelligence, I always want to balance out with with a lot of skill monkey, right? I, I want that to be expressed at the table mechanically. That that oh, I know ancient lore, but the jackass in the band. The pet band over here, right, always seems to know way more about lore than me, and then the rogue can back him up, and it's 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 uh, that's one disappointing thing I've I've always um, taken issue with for wizard. So you don't like the fact that people can do your job better than you? Well, do the job that I perceive like I should ah. have, but the class does not actually have. So when you think of a wizard, Scott, you think more of the a pursuer of knowledge. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. A researcher. Really, I think of Quinn. Just just the epitome. Yeah. <laughs> Quinn pretending to be Bill Compton with his dog. That's yeah. what you think of when you think of yeah. Wizard. There we go. Uh, now, that's interesting because when I think of Wizard, and this is very telling because of the system I learned to play role-playing games in, when I think of Wizard, I just think of damage. I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, um, I'm like, I, oh, you're thinking about wizards wrong because they're about setting people on goddamn fire. Right. If a wizard is any doing anything but casting fireball every turn, what the fuck is wrong with you? Right. Isn't that the sorcerer's job? Right. But a wizard has more staying power because they get spell refreshes. Well, they didn't used to. Right. In, fifth, in the confines of 5th edition, right. you get spell reflexes, so you have a little bit more staying power. In the... is, is, is it really more staying power versus just using your spell points or, or your spell pool or whatever sorcerers use? Uh, it depends on how you want to allocate those resources, I think. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Makes sense. In, in the old 3.5 days, wizards had less spells per day, but they had an infinite number of spells known. Mm-hmm. So playing a wizard meant you played to the research trope that Scott shared, even though it was very focused research, it wasn't always just massive amounts of knowledge. It was reading every spell book in the world and saying, oh, I know that spell. Let me prepare it kind of thing. You had to be very careful about what you threw for the day, but you could get anything. Yeah, this is one of those classes where uh, if you come back tomorrow, I will have the perfect solution to this problem. Right. You say nicely to the ogres. Right. How, How many jokes are there, mostly from Order of the Stick, about the wizard preparing the spell they don't need or not being able to do it until tomorrow or et cetera, et cetera. Right. And so here's where I am a terrible person at playing wizards where I usually tend to like find just a bread and butter spread. I'm like, I like these spells. These spells make me feel good. I like what they do. I like their aesthetic. I'm just always preparing this group of spells which at that point, why am I not playing a bard or a sorcerer? Right. That's a very good point. I, and my reason for never wanting to play a wizard is just pure laziness. Because <laughs> while I love the concept of being able to have that limitless knowledge and have all these spells, I never wanted to read through the book and write them all down. And I hated not having the notes on my character sheet. When it was my turn in combat, I didn't want to be flipping through the book. I wanted things immediately right there in front of me. You prefer the half or third caster with a more limited spell slot or the warlock where Mm -hmm. where you have a couple spells you use every single day, all Mm -hmm. the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, But all of our personal opinions and feelings aside, 
the wizard does what the wizard is supposed to do, for the most part, very, very well. Which is damage? I never would have guessed somehow. <laughs> Wait, well, what? See, that what's really interesting is, is if we look at the wizard going from three to four to five. Because mm-hmm. the wizard in three or three, five or Pathfinder just had limitless potential. Uh, you could pick schools that would give you certain bonuses, but there were very few restrictions. And of Except course, your restricted school for that, which I always picked as evocation, and everyone always looked at me funny. Now I'm kind of understanding why. Right. Or if you wanted to cheat, uh, there you could always just pick necromancy because obviously you were in a good aligned party. So obviously you're never going to cast a necromancy spell. Um, or since the 3.x era had an infinite amount of feats and ways to customize your class, you could always get around whatever class restrictions you took on yourself because why the fuck not? Let's just let you manipulate everything down to the atom to make the exact thing you want to do happen on your character sheet. Uh, Then you go into 4th edition, and wizards lose their squishy d4 hit die and become, oh, I can stand on the front line, I can wear armor, I can sling spells, I can beat the shit out of anybody. Uh, While they were at, where they were not as durable as the fighter or the barbarian, they weren't as about to die as they used to be in previous editions. And then you also had the evolution of the class to be more of a controller. Mm -hmm. You could still shell out the damage, but it was about manipulating the battlefield. Right. And personally, I quite liked 4E's take on wizards. I mean, I'm also one of those trash people who liked 4E a lot. Um... God bless you, Jim McClure. Um, I think there's more than 12, because all three of us like 4th edition. Okay. So, I like 4E, and I'm super into, like, the spell sword aesthetic. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if I'm playing Dragon Age, well, Origins or Inquisition, I'm going to spec for RK Knight or Eldritch, or Eldritch Enchanter, um, or RK... Fuck me. I forgot what it's called, but the spell sword class, I will always take that. The swordy casty thing. Right. Yeah, we got you. Um, Magic plus stabby thing. Go. Right. Uh, I just, I love that aesthetic, which is also, surprise, why I love the Eldritch Knight. And then fourth edition eventually went to that breakdown stage where it took the concepts of one class and made it three or four different classes. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't remember... The, the wizardy arcane stuff off the top of my head. All the books are in the next room over, but you could pick the different ways that you wanted to sling spells, not just going to sorcerer or warlock, but there were different ways within the wizard trope, wizard mindset that you could access that arcane mm-hmm. responsibility. And, and then when we get to fifth edition, we're back to just a wizard we're back to that more classic stereotype of the wizened old man in a robe who's not quite as durable, but when he gets that wind-up punch ready, by God, it's a good one. And uh, the wizard in 5th edition, very much like uh, you brought up last time when we were talking about the clerics, Scott, um, the wizard class is one of the ones that gives you tons of different archetype options. And, and that's something I love out of this edition's uh, wizard a little more 
you know, configurability. It seems worthwhile to take the, uh, what is it, the Oracle divination specialization because mm-hmm. you know in past editions like unless you're scrying on the bad right. guy it's just it's no yeah point, like right? oh it's not terrible to be a transmutation wizard cool right mm-hmm. and while i am not the biggest fan of fifth edition i do like some of the specialization features you get with some of the schools of magic however the wizard class in 5e is one of my biggest gripes about the system because I come from that background of I want the big dice pool, I want the big damage, I want the wizard to walk in, drop fireball, drop the mic, walk away. And I feel like that doesn't happen in 5th edition. I feel like the spells are a little underpowered and the number of spells you get, it just doesn't fit what I picture in my mind when i say i want to play a wizard yeah like there's a part of me that's kind of okay with them just kind of giving the finger to caster supremacy because it can make things really really problematic especially as you get like into higher level games but i also feel like even though you get like eight choices for specialization in wizard all of them feel like might feel a little bit i don't know milk toast little little they're, they're a little wishy Like, obviously, I always love playing an evoker. I almost always picked evocation school because I liked dropping those big pools of D6 and blowing everything up. When I look at the evocation school in 5e, I don't feel like I'm doing that much more than I would already. Mm. So it's just my perception of the class. And also... The wizard has always, always, always carried the trope of having to copy spells into a spellbook and pay gold resource to maintain that spellbook. Why does that trope exist? Why? So there were times historically when ink was a scarce resource, and so in order to maintain an elaborate book, you would probably need to get decent quality paper that would hold the ink for a long time and then you need to procure expensive inks that being said i think it's kind of like from a gameplay perspective bullshit because even from like a world building perspective you're not playing in medieval europe where most people don't know how to read or write much less like where to procure ink you're playing in fucking Faerun or eberron where there's just magic left and right yeah, it, you know, advocating for simulationism when, uh, you know, we can break the conservation of energy by allowing fireballs to come from nothing right. is uh, is a little... Yeah, you will never hear me argue from a simulationist perspective. I'm a hardcore narrativist. Boom. Now, I know the answer to my own question is that it is supposed to balance out the fact that the martial class spends money on weapons and armor, right? yeah. I mean, it's supposed to at least simulate, or not, again, yeah, simulate. It's supposed to simulate that, okay, mm-hmm. you have to go buy a sword, you have to go buy batshit. I think in 5th edition, the, the way this works out is just that money has no value. Right. Right. The, the, the fact that after 3rd level, you've purchased every item that you will need, it, it means that we can no longer have to keep track of money on the character sheet unless you're, like, kidnapped and starving to death. And, and so um, that, I think, is how it resolved there. Right. And I was I was going to say essentially the same thing where 
you're also talking about a game where the character progression treadmill is predicated on most of the time or depending on style of game random drops of magic loot that increase your competency so like your gold doesn't really matter or you're just taking it in and you're going like cool i can't use this like blue sword can i trade it in and then get something that is equally magic <laughs> equally hmm hmm and when I was learning 3.5 uh, back in the early 2000s, that's when everyone was pretty much rules as written, rules out of the book. If it's in the book, it happens. So, of course, the GM was all about spend the gold to write the spell, buy the spell components. But those are also the rules that we also threw out as soon as it became inconvenient. Right. I don't track that. I don't track ammunition. Unless it's really important, I don't track rations. Yeah, like carry weight. Oh, no. You know, unless oh, I give you a loot of no. 50,000 copper, I'm not going to track carry weight. I, st I still have all my old character sheets, right? Because I'm a hoarder when it comes to gaming. I could walk into my office and show you character sheets that still have notations for how many pounds of gold and uh, dry rations I am carrying and have... Uh, boxes I made to show how many arrows I had for my fucking crossbow. And Caleb, now we know why you're a banker. <laughs> I, I no, no, <laughs> Scott, no. Yeah, no. a little. Yeah, no, just a just a little. Well, now you made me sad. God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> oh. Your whole life was leading up to this. Oh god, I I have to leave. I can't handle this anymore. Banking class dismissed. No. Just, 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 just think. Why, someday you'll, God, you'll, why? you'll make it out. You'll get into accountancy. It'll be fine, uh, right? Whole new world. My whole life. The universe awaits. Uh, you can be an actuary. You can put a dollar value on human life. Every word is a dagger in my heart, Scott. Every word, <laughs> piercing ice daggers to my soul. And that is why bards are better than wizards. <laughs> yes. Oh, all right. So. Uh, why don't we explore a little bit about uh, seeing the wizard class, the wizard tropes and stereotypes in other games and mechanics? I'll, I'll open up by saying I've, I've played a couple of, of pretty short games, and they were 15 years ago, but they were in Mage the Ascension, if you guys have ever played the, the system. Mm -hmm. And and um, I really enjoyed it first because, uh, you know, in keeping with our examples, uh, that one, at least in our game, everybody was a mage. Why wouldn't you be? Because you have and to then, be in that game. <laughs> Yes, basically. Either you're a mage or you're a norm, right? Norm, uh, the the sleeping. Yeah, yeah, yeah Norm McDonald. Uh, norm McDonald. And I love the magic system in that uh, universe because it, it's, uh, it doesn't penalize you, right? You don't have slots. You don't have mana points. What you have is, is people noticing uh, that reality is not as they assume it is, and then that costs you, right? It's, it's a penalty. So if nobody notices... Uh, then you can get away with stuff. And then you can make these fascinating characters that have, like, um, unconscious ticks, like, I must untie knots. And see what kind of terrifying shit gets, like, happens to you in the party when you, like, go to a sailing village. Like, uh, we're gonna leave you outside of town. Yeah. I actually have that book on my shelf. I bought it a very long time ago, and I've never been able to read it through because it got kind of complicated. But I really do like that system yeah. a lot. It, it's one of those weird dot-based D10 systems. Yeah, it's, well, 
I never played Ascension. Um, I've always been a, like, New World of Darkness person, partially because I'm pretty young. Um, but also, it's just kind of where I've carved out my niche. And I have Mage the Awakening first edition. Haven't played it. Second edition just came out, and I really want to play that because the spellcasting rules are a little bit more understandable and parsable. And there's a part of me that, like, I understand why people love Mage the Ascension, but the whole consensual reality thing, just, like, I missed that whole boat. Really? Falls flat on you? Yep. <laughs> you're, you're, you're an objectivist. Is that what we're learning, Quinn? Uh, I wouldn't say that, but, yeah, the whole the whole thing is, like, oh, yeah... Especially because, again, when I'm, like, growing up, it's like, no, I've seen The Matrix. Like, I kind of get it. All right. Uh, All right. So I appreciate it for its context in the whole thing. Like, every old World of Darkness game line is a jewel of its time. It represents so much about the zeitgeist, and I love that about them. But they don't necessarily hold up. But but, but it's, it's, it's not the system, it's you. Is that what you're saying? Well, yeah, but then there's also certain aspects of the system like the combat system is like i don't want to roll for soak it's, it's not you and it's me but it no it's really you sorry yeah, no. it's, I, I, it's okay you. yes I just... i'm the problem if that's what you need to hear i'm the problem no it's and i don't know i i uh i like it i like it and and uh i enjoy the opportunity to grumble about kids these day you know yeah. not having to calculate encumbrance and etc math etc they're gaming i i think pretty much any urban fantasy genre includes magic of some sort mm -hmm. uh of course the harry dresden world one of my favorite stories the most important person is a wizard and that uses fate and fate is pretty cool for magic because you don't necessarily have to have a different system for it mm -hmm. i have a magic stat i roll magic things happen now you can hack fate apart infinitely and add in all kinds of spell points and spell pools and really do whatever you want with it. Um, but as a mechanic, fate lets you do big, fancy magic things really easily. Mm -hmm. um, Deadlands is another one we've played. Deadlands lets you do magic uh, in a pretty easy way because, again, it just kind of boils down to having the right stat for it mm -hmm. and narrating how magic happens. I will give a shout-out to Exalted is one of those games. It being my wheelhouse, then I always need to proselytize it. There are two ways you can look at the wizard in Exalted. Some people say that it's a game where everyone's the wizard, or you could look specifically at the sorcery system. And the sorcery system is intentionally trying not to be Dungeons & Dragons spellcasting. Like, you don't just like get to stand there and cast your fireball every turn, and it's cool. Like, it takes time... But also, most of its effects are not combatty. Um, like you can summon a swarm of obsidian butterflies that can kill a thousand men if that's what you want to do. But there's also like Inception, the spell, and stuff. So there's like a lot of utility sorcery. But at the same time, most of the powers you're getting as a character are like, I can at a certain point conjure a ball of fire at the end of my sword and throw that at someone, or. Some of, like, the lore stuff is, like, I make these weird predictions about what's going on, so it's one of those things where I've seen it argued that everyone in Exalted is a wizard, 
but their specific hmm. magic system for sorcery is also very interesting and evocative and strange. Hmm. I've never read it. I should. It's a very good game. Uh, you know, if you can look past the 10 dads aspects. As long as you stay around that as, three to five dad level. As long as you just glance over those three, four paragraphs. <laughs> just forget about those dads. Do, do they have like a like a two to three dads level, you know, open gaming license uh, equivalent that I could just like start as an entry level thing, work my my dad way up? Oh. <laughs> uh, mm. I... Um, I always like bringing up Shadowrun because that's my favorite game my favorite system oh yeah um I, I like shadowrun when it comes to magic because it's one of those things where it embraces the D trope of magic being everywhere but it still lets you do cool things with it mm -hmm. um of course mechanically everything in shadowrun is equally stupidly difficult yeah it's at times. a nightmarish hellscape it's <laughs> a good way to put it um but because Shadowrun lets you customize your character without the restrictions of a class-based system like Dungeons & Dragons, you can pick and choose and dabble the way you want. So if you want to be a straight damage-dealing wizard, like I think of when I say the word wizard, you can do that. If you want to be the source of all knowledge, like Scott says when he pictures a wizard, you can do that too. And if you want to find that mix of melee and arcane spells like Quinn likes to do, you can do that. Mm -hmm. It's just allocating the points properly and making sure you, you buy the right stuff. Yeah. I, I can't think of any system that is just everyone's a wizard. D didn't we mention like four so far? Exalted, you can conceive everyone mm -hmm. is a wizard. Mage, Dresden. everyone is a wizard. Okay. So let me <laughs> let me rephrase that. Uh, oh, I, you're thinking I, about I, the indie darling game Everyone is Wizard. <laughs> oh, of course. What was wrong with me? Why didn't I think of that right away? Okay, so maybe maybe I'm I'm thinking that there is not a game that's everyone is Gandalf. Everyone is the stereotypical old man in a robe doing magic. For fuck's sake, I don't want to play Gandalf in a regular game. That guy doesn't actually do anything. Okay, that was a bad example. Um, but I feel what you're talking about. Um, goodness gracious, what was it called? They reviewed a system on System Mastery a while ago, like ages ago, where technically you had options other than Wizard, but realistically... Everyone in that game was a wizard. But I can't think of anything where that's the basic conceit in that sense. Well, I think it's one of those classes that is appealing to a lot of people because it, it really exemplifies the pretend world we get into. Because if we're talking about melee and weapon-based classes, that's pretty close to reality. Mm -hmm. Running around with physical prowess is, is, is very, very much understandable. But that jump to slinging magic, understanding the arcane power, that is a big level of separation from reality. So I think that's why it's very appealing. And since I, as I've said on many different shows, one of my biggest enjoyments out of role-playing games is that escape factor and, and that way to get away from reality, I think that's why I personally am drawn to 
the the big blow shit up kind of wizard because I like seeing that happen. Mm-hmm. I feel that, and I definitely like. I mean, I like that kind of element uh, to things too. Uh, I like Exalted because it's a game about overwrought, very very competent, powerful characters that do crazy stuff. So I feel that for sure, and I like that. Like conceptually, I think about wizards. Like there's just kind of like this potential. Especially, yeah, I feel like there's a lot of good potential in a wizard where you can just like set something up and really pay it off very satisfactorily in terms of mm-hmm. a large number of d6s in your hand because boy, howdy, is that a lovely fireball? And, and wizards seem to be functioning best with planning and the long game, mm-hmm. whether you are playing the long term researcher and investing those skill ranks in different knowledges and amassing different stories and acquiring that knowledge. Or Or if you're abusing fabricate and um, charm schools Mm -hmm. to overthrow the the, the steady seat of government that's only a little corrupt and replace it with something of your own against the wishes of the population. Yep. Yep. Or or if you are uh, trying to play the utilitarian tactical guy where you try to anticipate what's going to happen in the dungeon or the next encounter and have the exact right spell prepared for the exact right moment. It, w- wizards are the long game. And, and that is fun to play if you're patient. And I, I'm not always very patient. So, Yeah, and I kind of fundamentally have a problem with things where your character concept is, if we want to do this my way, everybody needs to hole up. Yeah, if 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 everyone else hasn't uh, bought into that's how that's the play style of our group. You're absolutely right. Yeah, the the old fashioned uh, one random encounter a day. Let me rest so I can re-prepare my spells and get my spell slots back, or else yeah. we are hosed in the next combat. And that tends to be yeah. really difficult for like I tend to run games that and play in games where there's a pressing immediate need for the most part, like clocks ticking because. Mm-hmm. That enhances drama, and then you'll get, like, these kind of break points, but it doesn't tend to be that, like, before every single thing, you've got time to figure out what spells you want to come in there with, necessarily. Right, and then putting that type of pressure on a character whose class is focused on preparation means you either have to play and restrict what you are doing to maintain your resources for when they are actually needed— or burn your resources and then be forced to not do what your class is best at. Yeah, but that's also like what D&D is. Like D&D is a resource management engine mm-hmm. and yeah. that is just the wizard's particular resource of choice. Well, the the old the old joke about uh, the wizard always having to be proficient with a crossbow because once you cast two sleep spells, you can't do anything right. else. I'm very grateful for the introduction of free cantrips. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, uh, well, well, we saw that with Pathfinder because Pathfinder right. gave you free zero level spells, but then fourth edition with the at will mm-hmm. abilities that just opened up the world to let casters do a lot more stuff oh, instead yeah. of just having to carry a stick and hope they could hit the thing before it killed them. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a friend of mine just explained a couple of weeks ago that, that uh, in 5th edition, cantrips aren't spells. And because of that, they no longer uh, qualify against the restraint that you can only cast a, as, at, at most one spell around. Correct. 
and so if you used haste, right, you can get a real spell and a cantrip. And I was like, oh my god, that's amazing. Yep. Hmm. Yeah, that's uh there was a while where I was reading up on a lot of like the fifth edition rules clarifications and errata, and I'm like, ooh, mm-hmm. that's a good one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Suddenly that, that makes so much sense. I, I don't think I ever recognize that until right now. That's kind of cool. The more you know. <laughs> well, on that motivational and educational note, uh. maybe we should uh, put a bow on this rant about wizards. Uh, any other final words here tonight, gentlemen? I don't I think know. I'm good. Don't count your dads before they hatch. <laughs> there you go. All righty. Well, Quinn, thank you so much for being a guest here on Detention. It was wonderful chatting here with you tonight. Oh, yeah. It was so much fun. And uh, from me, Michael, and everyone at the RPG Academy Network, we'll see you next time. <laughs> and uh, and we will wrap things up today with... Uh, Shit, what's the name of the segment? Class discussion? Class, class review. Is it class review? That, yes. Let's say it's class review. Wow. So many wheels have fallen off. The tracks have disintegrated. I don't even know what the hell I'm doing anymore. All right. So we started playing this in October, um, right after the release of the Exalted 3rd Edition PDF. Um I know that myself. Yeah, just, just talk over it. All Don't right. mute me. Yeah, that's just on Scott's end. Don't worry about it. All right, right, I right. live in Baltimore. There are literally always sirens. Okay. Luckily, the jazz band isn't playing right now. Yay! True. I've got a metal band across the street, so sometimes oh. they get they go hard. Um. Thanks for listening to the RPG Academy podcast, the flagship program of the RPG Academy Network. If you enjoy what we do here, then please check out the RPGAcademy.com and visit our site partners for additional entertainment and gaming advice. We do this out of love for the hobby and for you, our fans. The podcast and site content will always be free for you to enjoy and utilize. But we do have expenses related to the show. If you'd like to help out in any way, please visit patreon.com slash Academy and check out the rewards we are providing for your monthly pledges. We use all funds that come in to improve the show and give you better content and quality. And if you don't have the coin to spend, don't worry. You can still help us out in many ways. You can subscribe to our show on iTunes and or Stitcher Radio. You can leave us a five-star review. Also, if you clear your cookies and you visit Amazon or the drive-thru RPG site through our portal, we get a small percentage of what you pay, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Just like any RPG, our site works best with open lines of communication. We love talking with our listeners about everything. Please contact us with any questions, concerns, and comments that you have. We also love to hear feedback and experiences from your own games. You can email us via podcast at therpgacademy.com and reach us on social media, such as Facebook and Google+, 
at the RPG Academy. But Twitter is usually the fastest way to reach us. You can find my favorite co-host, the Caleb G, at the Caleb G. And you can find my favorite co-host, Michael, at the RPG Academy. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you're having fun, you're doing it right.